If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We've been doing this series for the last several weeks called Our Journey to Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've been taking the classic Old Testament stories from the book of Genesis. We've been teaching those stories and then we've been telling what is the point from the New Testament as we look at part two today of the story of Cain and Abel. Today is part two. Today is a little bit more optimistic than last week. Last week, if you remember, Cain killed his brother. That is nothing to smile about or be encouraged by, but there is encouragement behind that as we talk about love today. That is the whole point. So our lesson title today is called The Birth of Love. The Birth of Love from 1 John chapter 3 will be in verses 11 to 18. 1 John 3, 11 to 18. But before we get there, I'm going to ask you a question. It's Halloween today, okay? And I have a point to this question, but did you ever have to wear something ridiculous? Did you ever have to wear something kind of ridiculous or a Halloween costume that wasn't quite up to snuff? Anyone have one of those stories? Grew up and my mom made my costume and it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Well, <laughs> if you do, come let me know. I'm going to give you my top 10 worst Halloween costume knockoffs. Okay, top 10 worst Halloween costume knockoffs. I didn't have to search very long for these. They came very naturally from the internet, thankfully. And there were lots more than this. Okay, so I had to pick my favorites and put them on the top 10 worst Halloween costume knockoffs. Maybe you guys could fellowship with us. Now, I grew up with video games. Anyone else grew up with video games? And there was a, there was a character that I, I remember playing ever since I was young. There were several video games based on this character. There was, a, I think, a cartoon based on this character. And uh, his name is Video Game Guy. No, his name is Mario. Video Game Guy is the cheap knockoff. Video Game Guy, if you want to find a special costume for your little one, find Video Game Guy. And how, how cool would that be to show up at a door and they say, who are you? What are you supposed to be? And you say, I'm Video Game Guy. And you got the generic red hat. Here's another one. Mind Game. Good old Mind Game for those who like Mind Game. My son really likes Mind Game, so I had to look everywhere to find that Mind Game costume. Uh, Looks like kind of glorified pajamas. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but mind game. There you go. There's number 10 uh, video game knockoffs. Here's number 9. Now, also growing up, we had to show this little cartoon called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Does anyone remember that? Yeah. You know, there were, there were four turtles. There were teenagers. They, knew, they were ninjas. They knew karate. They lived in the sewer. It was a great concept for a show. Actually, it was really bizarre. But... I grew up loving the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, I want, to, I want to ask you before I show you this next one, is what would be a knockoff for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I want you to think of what a knockoff might look like for that, because I'm about to show you a knockoff for that. Any guesses? All right, I'll just not keep you in suspense any longer. Here we go. The, <laughs> the pubescent frog of silent war. I don't know what's going on there, but um, that's not even close. I, I appreciate the effort there, but uh, no, that's not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Don't get that for your kid. Uh, here's number eight. Any musician fans? Dan, I know you are. I know you're a fan of music and things like that. Anybody remember a little artist from the 80s? I think there was a song and a movie based on this guy, Purple Rain. Any remember, remember the artist who sang that or was in that? Prince. Prince. That's right. So there's a couple Prince knockoffs. You have the purple artist <laughs> and the always lovable 80s purple musician costume. So there you go. If you're looking to dress up as Prince this year, there there's a couple for you. Now, uh, Disney fans. Disney fans are everywhere, right? We have Disney fans probably in this room, people who love Disney, people who grew up with Disney. Any favorite Disney movies from your childhood? Uh, Little Mermaid, any fans of those? Beauty and the Beast. Well, you guys remember the one called Aladdin? 
Now, with, with these Disney things, you can't just rip off their name in their costume, okay? You kind of have to get a little cute. So, <laughs> this one's actually, I believe, the most creative attempt at a knockoff. It is called a lad in a costume. A lad in a costume. In fact, if you go to the door and they ask you what you are, if you say it really fast, you'll sound legitimate. I'm a lad in a costume. A lad in a costume. And uh, I just thought that was pretty clever. It's a lad in a costume. And I guess he kind of looks like a genie. I don't know exactly what he's going for there, but that's a lad in a costume. Here, now I have two girls, and sometimes it's tricky to find girl costumes for some reason. My girls both decided to be princesses only because I couldn't find these ones. We have Hungry Rebel Girl. <laughs> very, very popular these days, Hungry Rebel Girl. And we always have the famous Factory Worker Girl. Oompa Loompa? Yeah, what? I don't really know what that one's about, Oompa Loompa. So there, if you're looking for girl costumes, what's that, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, Oompa Loompa. Factory worker girl. <laughs> Gotta love that, right? But we're not going to forget the boys. The boys need their own costume, and so we found one today that's pretty current, okay? This, this movie's pretty popular, too. It's Boyish Snow Clown. We have Boyish Snow Clown from the famous Disney Froze movie. Disney Froze. <laughs> boyish Snow Clown, so there you go. Now, sometimes adults like to dress up, too, right? There's an adult show. I guess it's not. It's kind of a children's slash adult show, but uh, it's pretty popular. I don't know if it's really popular anymore, but it was a few years ago. It was called Stranger Things. Well, they have unusual events. Adult wig for you. And, and my biggest question about this one there is not the name necessarily, but the little blood coming out of the nose. Does that come with it? Do you have to do that yourself? Like, it just says adult wig, so I don't really exactly know what the blood goes. What's that? Maybe, maybe just a sticky thing, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that comes with it, you don't have to pay extra for that. Here's number three, we all love heroes, especially superheroes, right? We love heroes, heroes, you know, are permeating our society, we love superheroes. So here's a couple heroes for you. We got Aqua Hero, you know, with the uh, temporary tattoos that come with it, that's pretty cool. And then we have the strangest one out of the top ten, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. But we have Dead Parents Hero. <laughs> Dead parents here. I don't know exactly. If you guys can explain that one to me, please do, because I don't know exactly what's going on there. But I bet are they? I didn't know that. Okay, that that probably answers it. But uh, as far as not thinking, that wins. That wins. That person was just phoning it in. Good old dead parents here. <laughs> yeah, he does. Okay, here's number two. Two. Number two. We got two left. Number two. What do you expect number two to be now? Um, this one is fitting that it's number two, and there's really a, a hard, this one's hard to explain because I'm in a pulpit, and I'm a pastor, I'm in a church, so I'm, I can't really explain this one, only to say it's number two for a reason, okay? And that's all I can say about it. If you're, if you're not watching this, you have no idea what that picture is, but you'll have to come and ask me, but that is, that's number two. If you're looking to be number two this year, you actually can be number two. And then there's number one, our, our top ten worst Halloween knockoff, another adult costume, Okay. And uh, we have a bunch of these around today. They are simply the lost adults. The lost adults with the Where's Waldo knockoff costume. If you're looking to be a lost adult, there's your costume. Top 10 worst Halloween knockoffs. It's Halloween themed, so I picked a Halloween themed top 10. Really has nothing to do with their lesson. Okay, generally they do. Today's it doesn't. So we just have to transition, unfortunately. So we're going to. Take your Bibles and go with me to... 1 John chapter 3, it's going to be a tough transition, but we're going to do our best. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 11 to 18, and we're calling this lesson the birth of love. And please remember, this is part two of last week, which we called the birth of selfishness. This is now the birth of love. 
Listen to the word of God. John speaking, he says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The passage continues. We're going to stop it there at verse 18 today. And we're going to talk about the birth of love today. Now, we're coming from our lesson last week, which was the birth of selfishness. We looked at the classic story, the tragic story, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to God. Cain's was rejected. Abel's was accepted because Abel's was an actual sacrifice offered from the heart. Cain's was selfish. Cain offered whatever Cain wanted to give God. It was not from the heart. It was not a sacrifice. Therefore, God rejected his sacrifice. And that's only the first part of the story. Cain gets angry because Cain is not feeling supported and encouraged. And he goes and finds his brother. He tells him what happens and he kills Abel in the field. And that is the birth of selfishness. We talked about how tragic selfishness is last week. And we're going to continue this by looking at part two about the birth of love and how much more hopeful love is than selfishness. But I'm going to be honest. Last week's lesson was a hard lesson. Because we all had to confront the selfishness that lies within us. No matter how severe it is, selfishness is dangerous. Selfishness is dangerous, and it must be put away at all costs because it's that dangerous. And hopefully we're going to be reminded about that again, because Cain's selfishness led to the worst kind of sin. It caused him to murder his brother. Cain's selfishness led to murder of his loving brother. Today is Halloween. Halloween is one of those holidays that can go either way. It can be a benign, fun holiday for children to dress up and get candy. But it can also be a very dark, dark holiday. It can be a holiday where things like murder are celebrated and glorified. But is murder cool? Is murder cool, especially after coming off the story of Cain and Abel? I'm going to tell you something to be very honest today. Cain is not celebrating murder today, is he? Cain is facing some very drastic consequences for his attempts to live out his own selfishness but it's murder is another one of those things that permeates our society sometimes we honor it sometimes we celebrate murder sometimes we glorify murder but Cain's brother died because of Cain's selfishness and that selfishness led to the diseasing of the entire world selfishness diseased and condemned the entire world murder is nothing to celebrate because selfishness on any level can actually destroy our lives and the lives of those around us. Now, you guys know I have a sense of humor. Sometimes it's a little corny. I taught my children a little phrase that kind of just popped into my head, and I'm just going to try it here, okay? It's going to be a little silly, a little corny. But it's one of those phrases I taught my children just to help them remember about selfishness, okay? I said this. I said, it's okay to sell fish, but to not be selfish. Now, I know you guys are thinking that's brilliant. And if you want to use that and take that as your own, please do. I give it to you. 
It's okay to selfish, but not to be selfish. Now, the reason I did that is because I literally want my children to remember it. I want them to remember how bad it is to be selfish. And one of my children says, it sounds like fish. And I said, well, it's not fish. So I came up with this little saying and gave that back to them. But any way we could remember this, selfishness is evil. Selfishness is evil. And we live in a world where selfishness is not evil. It's normal. It's a normal part of our society. And like most of God's law, the thou shalt not part is only one half of the story. When God says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do something bad, that's only the first half of the story. Because God did not put us on this earth to simply avoid a bunch of bad stuff. That's not our purpose on this earth. He put us on this earth to obey his will. So learning not to be selfish is a fantastic lesson. But it's still not enough, is it? We need to go well beyond just avoiding selfishness. And that's the spirit of the lesson today. Love is the point of our lesson today. Now, besides having a Savior who can save us from being selfish, we also have his model and his pattern that he left for us before he went back to heaven. So you and I would know how to properly live upon this earth by walking in love. And so once again, Jesus is going to complete the puzzle for us. He's going to complete the picture for us by showing us that selfishness must actually transform into selflessness or self-sacrificial love. Love is our duty and our purpose as God's people. Our duty and our purpose. And there is no greater duty, there is no greater purpose than love. But let's learn it from our passage today, okay? Let's learn it from our passage. 1 John 3 is one of my favorite books. It is one of the most profound, most helpful, most honest, most practical, and most blunt passages of Scripture you can ever find. John, I believe, was a straight shooter. He didn't mince any words, and even though it's Halloween today, he's not going to candy coat what he's saying today, okay? He's simply going to give it to us straight, because sometimes we just need people to give it to us straight. John is going to tell us how exactly we must live if we claim to belong to Jesus Christ, because Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord, is he not? He's our Savior, he saves us from sin, and he also decides how we live, because he's our Lord. So guess who John brings up as his object lesson? He's going to bring up somebody as an object lesson to help us understand the topic of love. So let's read it in verses 11 to 12. He says this, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain is brought up. John brings up Cain. Cain is one of the most tragic figures in the entire Bible, along with people like Adam and Eve, his parents, King Saul, someone that should have known better. He was the one who was king before King David. King Solomon, if you remember him, he was David's son. He's kind of a tragic figure. We have Esau, the brother of Jacob. Judas, another very classic and tragic character. We have the nation of Israel, also acted very improperly. And of course, we have at the top of the list probably Lucifer. All of these people that I just mentioned knew better. Okay, these were not unbelievers. These were people that knew what God demanded and commanded. They decided to act contrary to his will for the bulk of their lives. And sadly, all of those people or most of those people ended poorly that we know of. And John introduces Cain to us once again. And isn't that strange? 
Isn't it strange that in a discourse about love, he would bring up Cain, such a tragic figure, such an opposite figure of love? Why bring up such a tragic opposite figure of love when you're speaking about love? Perhaps because we all want a spooky story on Halloween, right? Let's bring up Cain. Let's give someone a nice story to think about. No, that's very unlikely. This is certainly as a contrast. That is the reason John is bringing up Cain. He's there to contrast Cain with love. Now he begins his discourse by reminding us that from the beginning, we had a message. From the beginning, we had a theme and a motto for our lives. He reminds us, reminds us of that ancient message from the beginning, that you and I should love one another. That message is the foundation for the entire world. Did you know that? God did not make that up halfway through. He did not make that up 100 years in. God decided that the entire world would be founded upon the concept of love. We're never going to get away from love. Do you know that? We're never going to get away from it. It's eternally important. It's going to come up in every lesson we speak about because it's that important. From the beginning of time and the beginning of creation, love was central to our very existence. And if you go one chapter later, John says this in 1 John chapter 4. There's a picture of Cain, unfortunately. Here's what he says in 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. John doesn't say God is loving or that God is the most lovable person. He says God is love. God's very character is love. Aren't you thankful for that? That's, a, that's deserving of a very hearty amen because God is love. When we were wicked sinners in the eyes of God and were awaiting condemnation and damnation, guess what God did? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will not perish but will have everlasting life. When we were wicked and went astray, God gave up his son so that you and I could not be condemned any longer so that he could love us for the rest of eternity. God is love. There's no debating that, is there? God is love. We should know it. We should understand that. We should believe that with every fiber of our being. And as we looked at a couple weeks ago, mankind was created in the image of God, right? We were created in the image of God. We are the only part of creation that was created in the image of God. And so John wants us to know and be reminded of how much sense love should make to, to you and I. We were created to be like God, and God is love. Do you see that simple forward equation? God is love, and we were created to be like God. And to be like God is the highest pursuit anyone could ever have. If someone ever says you're like Jesus, that's the biggest compliment you could ever receive. Therefore, John is going to state today that if we do not walk in love, that's very problematic because that means we're not like our God. Because God is love. And if we're not like God, then we're actually against God because that's how contrasted love is with everything else. And if we're against God, then we're enemies of God. And I want you to think about that for a moment. That's not the point of the story, but John is going to make that point. If we're not loving, we're actually against God. We're actually God's enemies. And we're going to get back to that point because John is going to get back to that point later on. But immediately after he introduces us to love, he reintroduces us to Cain. 
And I bet we never thought we would hear the word love next to the name Cain. But John does just that. And he does it as a contrast. Now, we know what a contrast is, right? It's an opposite. And I'm going to give you a little test, okay? I'm going to give you some words, and I want you to tell me the contrast or the opposite of those words. So just feel free to shout them out, okay? Dark. Light. Thank you. Day. Night. These are easy. Black. White. Wrong. Right. Love. Hate. Very good. Or you could say Cain. Cain. Because Cain killed his brother. Or we could contrast selflessness with selfishness. And that's exactly what John is doing here. Listen to the language again. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Cain is brought up as a contrast to love. We should love one another and not be like Cain, who slew his brother. Isn't that not a sharp contrast? For loving your brother to killing your brother. What a sharp contrast. Why such a sharp contrast, John? Why immediately bring up Cain and murder when you mention how important it is to walk in love with your fellow man? It's almost as if John is saying that there is only two options. Love and Cain-like hatred. Do you see that also? Do you see that also if you're just looking at the words, looking at the language? Is there possible there's no middle option between Christ-like love and Cain-like murder? There's only two camps? We're going to answer that here in a little bit. But now that John has introduced the topic of hatred because he brought up Cain, he's going to give us a little bit of a doctrinal lesson because he's going to say this in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised when that happens, when the world hates you. That's normal. Okay, that's par for the course. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, in one sense, hatred does not make any sense to God. Did you know that? It doesn't make any sense to God. God is love. Hatred doesn't make any sense to God. And therefore, it shouldn't make any sense to us. But for some reason, it does make sense to us because we live in a sin-cursed, broken world. God did not design us for hatred. He designed us for love, just as he loves. And hatred is closely linked to selfishness. And we live in a world where hatred and selfishness is normal. It's normal. We live in a culture where hatred is normal. Selfishness is normal. And we can give a lot of that credit to Cain, and we can give a lot of that credit to his parents, Adam and Eve. But we can't give them all the credit, can we? Because although they opened the door for sin, you and I are the ones that walked through by our own choices. Selfish choices. And unfortunately, because of our sinful choices, hatred is now a staple of the world. It's now normal. Hatred is now a normal part of our society and our culture. It is normal to hate people. Did you know that? That's the culture we live in. Our God is love. He made us in his image. And now hatred defines our world. Do you see how broken this world is? We live for the very thing that God is not. Now, have you ever been driving and you see one of those signs that say wrong way? You're on the wrong road, okay? <laughs> Turn around immediately and get off because you're not going the right direction. 
God's basically telling us that today. If we're walking in selfishness, he's putting a sign right in front of us that says wrong way. This is not the right way. This way does not lead to the kingdom of God. And John reminds us that we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us because the world is going the wrong way. The world is going against Jesus Christ. And there's nothing this world hates more than those who live for righteousness. The world hates that. In fact, the very reason Cain killed his brother, we are told, is because Abel was righteous. Abel didn't do anything to Cain. Abel didn't rub his nose in it. Abel simply offered to God a righteous sacrifice and Cain killed him because he hated it. Wickedness and evil cannot stand righteousness. And that's almost in every movie, right? In every movie, we have a conflict. We have a good side, and then there's introduced the evil side who wants to take down the good side because evil always hates what is good. So John gives us a test to help you and I know if we are truly born of God because we all claim to be Christians, I believe. But how do you know that you are a Christian? That's a great thing to know, right? Before Judgment Day, isn't it good to know for certain that you're an actual Christian, that you actually follow Jesus? So John's going to give us a test that so we can cross that hurdle now instead of at Judgment Day and kind of chalk it up to a gamble. So he says this. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Is that shut off? Okay. And I want you to notice that. Look at the test John just gave us. He who does not love abides in death. He who does not love abides in death. He who is a murderer has no eternal life abiding in him. The world is defined by hatred and selfishness. You guys would agree with me. God is love. We just heard it stated from John's mouth. And God made us in his image. We learned that a couple weeks ago. And if that's true, then the thing which identifies us as God's people is not our testimony of when we came to Jesus. It's not our Bible knowledge. It's not our church attendance. The fact that we've been going to church for most of our lives, that's not the answer to how do we know that we belong to God. The singular thing which identifies us as God's people, as followers of Jesus Christ, is selfless, sacrificial love. Because that's what our God is. That's what our Lord Jesus is. Love is so against the grain of this world. Love is against the grain of the world we live in. And we're not talking today about the world's definition of love, because they have taken the word love, and they've redefined it to fit their own model, where we simply accept any behavior from people. That is not what... God's love is, because God does not do that. When someone's in sin, God tells them you're in sin. That's wrong. That's evil. God defines love much differently than the world, and we're going to get back to what love truly is. But love is so against the grain of the world that when you and I regularly and faithfully show love to one another, it's shocking. It's alarming. It's, it stands out. It's alien. Selfless love is alien to our culture. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to respond to it. They don't see it that often. And selfless love is from our God because he gave up his son when we were in our sins. So John says that we can actually flip that around and look at it from a different angle. If we do not walk in love, faithful, regular love, not perfect love, not taking every chance that you get to love, 
He's talking about a practice. He uses that word many times in 1 John 3. Practice, practice, practice. If we do not walk in love as a practice of our lives, then we still must abide in death. We must be dead. If Christ-like, selfless, self-sacrificing love is not clearly visible in our lives. Because if we are born, if we are reborn of God, then we're once again made in his image. And if we're made in the image of God who is love, what should be the theme of our existence? And it's very easy to understand. It should be love. It makes perfect sense when the world abides in selfishness because they belong to the evil one. Their father is actually the devil. They wouldn't agree with you, but that's what God's word says. If you don't belong to God the Father, you only have one other option. You belong to the devil. The father of most of the world is the devil, the author of selfishness and sin. And so it makes absolutely perfect sense when they walk in selfishness. And it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever when Christ followers walk in selfishness and show hatred or a lack of love to those around them because God is not okay with that. And his people would know that. So John wants us to test our heart today. Take that test right now. Are you walking in selfless, sacrificial love towards your neighbor as a practice? and a theme of your life because that's what your God is and that's how he made you. This truth is foundational to our very hope beyond the grave. We can't let this truth just roll over us because this is incredibly important. This is the matter of eternal life and death. We have to consider what John just told us. If we're not walking in love, and John does not mean perfectly, of course, but if we're not walking in love as a practice of our life, then we have no proof that we belong to God. There is no proof. Your testimony does not work. Your Bible knowledge does not matter. Your church attendance does not matter if you do not walk in love. And if we have no proof that we belong to God, then what we're doing is we're playing Russian roulette with our souls. And we cannot afford to flirt any of us with eternal condemnation. And you know what your God wants you to have today? Hope. That's why he tests you now. If God didn't love you, if God didn't care about where you went for the rest of eternity, he would roll the dice too. You would all roll the dice. You would stand before him on judgment and he would say, I'm sorry, you're not mine. You're condemned. Or God could give us a test now and say, find out. Find out. Take the test. Figure this out today. Because if you're not, we can change that today. Because I love you and I want you to have hope beyond the grave. In fact, John goes even further with this. He says, if we're not walking in love, guess who we're acting like? Cain, who murdered his brother. Do you notice that as well? If we're not walking in love, there's no other option than we're acting like Cain. Either we walk in selfless, self-sacrificial love, or in the eyes of God, we're like a murderer. Does that shock you to hear? Because the first time I read this, it shocked me. And I like to consider, like you guys, there's a third option, right? That sure, I might not be walking in selfless love as a pattern of my life, but I love on occasion. And I'm not a beast like Cain was. Cain was a beast, right? And we're generally kind people who don't neglect the needs of others. That's how we consider most of us to be. And if God brings along someone in our path who's truly hurting and truly in need, we believe we're going to reach out to that person. We're certainly not like Cain. We're not murderers. God, we don't wish harm on anybody. So the question today is, 
Are we more like Jesus or more like Cain? And if that question is posed to every one of us today, I believe every single one of us would say we're more like Jesus. Definitely, 100%. We'll definitely side with Jesus on this one. Even though we're not truly walking in love, selfless love towards others, I would much rather side with Jesus than with Cain. Give myself the benefit of the doubt. Round up. And yet John doesn't seem to have that option for us. He says either we're like Jesus in the fact that we walk in selfless, self-sacrificial love, or we're like the murderous Cain. Wow. And that seems harsh. That seems harsh to hear because I've never killed anybody. I don't believe you have killed anybody either like Cain did. Cain was evil. And we can't be like Cain, right? I don't want to be like Cain. I don't want anybody that I know to be like Cain. But if we don't show selfless love as a pattern of our lives, John is calling us like Cain. Now, it's easy and tempting to think that maybe John is just using hyperbole because that's a writing strategy, right? Use hyperbole and exaggeration to make a point without it actually being literal. And I'm going to be honest. Those were some of the thoughts rattling around my brain when I first studied this because I wanted to find a way to slip out of it. Sure, John, you got me. I might not be walking in love all the time, but I'm certainly not like Cain who murdered his brother. There's got to be another door for someone like me who's not exactly Christ-like, but also not Cain-like. And also notice, notice the language from the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ said similar language in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In case you think John is taking this too far, Listen to the language of our very Lord Jesus. He says in verse 21, You've heard the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, You fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus has a much different view on murder than you and I do. Murder is simply the killing of someone's life. But Jesus, who is God, considers it murder when we show practical anger and hatred towards our brothers. Anger and hatred in the eyes of God, which is the only thing that matters, is murder. Hatred is murder in the eyes of God. And John just told us that no murderer will inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. There won't be any Cain's in heaven. And I think most of us can get on board with that, right? We don't want Cain's in heaven. Cain is not going to be in heaven. It's bad to be angry with your brother. It's bad to hate your brother. We know that's bad. I mean, it seems a little harsh to call it murder, but if Jesus says so, it must be true. I can get on board with that. But it still doesn't answer the question whether John is saying that a lack of selfless love is the same as murder. Because those are different things, right? Showing hatred is one thing, but just not loving someone selflessly, can that be murder as well? Is God being harsh? Is he really saying that if we're not showing Christ-like love to our neighbors, then we're murderers? Couldn't we just be busy? Couldn't we just be tired from working hard to support our families? Couldn't we just be distracted by our own pains and difficulties in this life? Couldn't we just not have a lot of extra resources available to us to help someone in need? 
And certainly, we can't be like Cain if we find ourselves in one of those seasons, right? Therefore, to make John's point, I want us to pretend today that we're going to be put on trial for not walking in love and acting like Cain. We're being summoned to court today because that's what John is doing. He's summoning us to a pre-court court, okay? That's what this test is all about. And we all, myself included, have to go to this court because we've just been charged with murder. This is hypothetical, okay, but we're going to do this. We're going to pretend. We've all been charged with murder in the court of God for not walking in selfless love towards our neighbors. And so the Spirit is asking us under oath today, are you a murderer like Cain or are you walking in love like Jesus did? That's the question. And because we don't want to be guilty of murder, we, don't, we respond with something like this. Yes, I sometimes love. And other times I'm busy, tired, distracted, hurting myself, and void of extra resources in order to love people. But no, I haven't murdered anybody. And we feel pretty justified in that answer when we say it. But the Spirit says to us today in rebuttal, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the Spirit reiterates to us and says to us again, let me ask you again, are you a murderer like Cain? Or are you walking in love like your Lord Jesus did? Well, let's pose the question another way, okay? Let's pose the question another way today. Next week, Pastor Mel is going to be speaking to us on the classic story of Noah's Ark. That's next week's lesson. And I thought about that as a metaphor for this question today. Let us imagine that we are Noah's family in the days before the flood, okay? We are Noah's family. We are the eight people that God is going to spare by using the Ark as a Savior. And God has just commanded us to build the ark and to get in the ark before the flood comes. Or we're going to drown like everybody else upon the earth. And there's no other option. Build the ark, get in the ark, or drown. Very clear options. Would we use the same argument to God for why we can't build the ark? Why we can't get into the ark when the flood comes? God, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm distracted. I have pain myself. I don't have a lot of extra resources and time to give to this ark building. Would that work before God if there was a worldwide flood coming? Or would we, like Noah's family, build the ark, no matter how long it takes, no matter how much effort it takes, to make sure that ark is perfectly built according to plan so that you and I can get our families in it and be safe from the flood before we all drown? And it all depends how we look at this question, right? It all depends on the perspective of the question. We don't want to drown, right? So we would build the ark. I believe most of us, if we understood there were two options, build an ark or drown, we would say, let's get to that ark. Let's build that ark. And drowning is much less severe than hell. And let's pose the question even another way to cement this even further. Because the Spirit of God just hypothetically spoke to us and said, did you love like Jesus or were you hating like Cain? And we said, we're too busy, we're too tired, we're too distracted, we're hurting ourselves, we're void of extra resources to always walk in love. So let's pretend we're taken to another court today. And this time it's Judgment Day. And we're standing at the Supreme Court of God 
on Judgment Day. And we're standing before the very throne of God, whatever that looks like. It's going to be amazing and majestic. And the question is asked to us in a loud, authoritative voice. Are you a murderer like Cain? Or did you walk in love like your Lord did? And we're trying to focus on the one who's speaking to us, but we can't see much except a brilliant light that hurts our eyes to look directly at it. But we attempt to use the very same argument in response to the bright light that's speaking to us. And we sheepishly say this time, I loved sometimes, but I was too busy, tired, distracted, hurting, and void of extra resources to truly walk in love. And then the light dims, and a figure appears before our eyes. And we can now clearly see that the figure which has been speaking to us is the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who's seated on the throne, and he is the one asking us whether we walked in love like he did. And he is the one we just responded to by telling him we were too busy, too tired, too distracted, too hurting, too void of extra resources to obey his commandment to walk in selfless love. And now we're feeling very nervous about our response, but we wait to hear what he says. And all the Lord does in response to us is reveal the scars in his hands where the railroad-sized nails were driven into his hands to hold him on the cross for our sins. And suddenly what we just said to the Lord, our Savior, now feels very foolish. The question we're seeking to answer today, is it too much for the Lord to expect us to walk in selfless love with our lives? Is that too high of a bar? If you're anything like me, that felt like a high bar when I first wrestled with that. To be commanded to walk in selfless love or be considered a murderer and lumped along with Cain on Judgment Day until I think about it for a moment. Why does walking in selfless love seem difficult? Why? Why does that seem hard? Why does it seem hard to walk in selfless love? And I came up with three answers for why I believe it should not be hard to walk in selfless love. Number one, you and I expect to be loved by God every day of our lives. Do we not? Don't we wake up with expectations that God is going to love us every single day of our life? And when life gets too hard, we immediately begin to complain to God that he's not loving us enough. I do it. I've done it, sadly. Which means that I expect to be loved, and so do you. You expect God to love you. And that's not wrong. But you expect God to love you, and so do I. That's reason number one why selfless love should not be difficult for us to wrap our heads around. Number two, when God commands us to love each other, he's giving a similar instruction that he gave Noah and his family. He's looking out for our eternal life and welfare. Because we have to be on the right team on the last day. We have to be on the team of love. We have to be inside Jesus Christ or we'll be destroyed forever, this time not by a flood, but by an eternal fire. And so God is telling us today, make sure you get on the right team today. This is life or death we're talking about for eternity. That's number two, why selfless love should not be difficult. We have to build the ark or we drown. Number three, when we don't love others, we're actively hurting other people. When we withhold love from people who need it, we don't feel evil. We feel busy. 
but withheld love actually hurts those who are in need. And when we actively hurt other people, we're acting just like Cain did, who actively hurt his brother. Withholding love from those in need is similar to murder. And I want you to remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, their man is half dead on the side of the road. He is dying. Two men walk by him and see him in his state, and they do nothing, and they walk by on the other side. The third guy stops and helps him and takes care of him. But the first two guys, what's going to happen if the man does not get help soon? He's going to die. And the first two guys walk by on the other side. John is telling us today, there it is, there it is. Hatred, murder, Cain-like behavior. And the honest truth today, guys, is that we must be beasts like Cain if we think that God asking us to practice selfless love, self-sacrificing love is a difficult request. Self-sacrificing love is not a difficult request from the God of self-sacrificial love. If asking us to love others is a big request, then why did Jesus die on the cross? Why do we accept that love from him if love, selfless, sacrificial love, is too big of a request? And now we end our lesson on the birth of love. John cements this by saying we know love by this. This is how we know love. This is how we've tasted love. This is how we've experienced love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We all sit or stand here today thankful that the love of God was born upon the earth through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we looked at last week, selfishness was born many centuries before that through Cain. And because of that, the world became a very dark and very evil place to live in. Selfishness literally broke and cursed mankind. And because evil reigned in our souls and because we all chose sin and selfishness over love and obedience, we were all condemned to death and destruction, which again sounds harsh to us until we understand the creation of the world and the makeup of our DNA. And that's hopeless to think about, that the entire world is destroyed, the entire world is condemned and damned for all of eternity. But if you remember a few weeks ago, we titled our lesson, But Jesus. But Jesus. John is also letting us know today there's hope. There's hope. Even if we're acting like Cain today, there's hope. Because love came down. God himself, from heaven, born through a virgin, through the Holy Spirit, so they would not be contaminated by the sinfulness of this world. And then that Savior stepped in our place of guilt and condemnation and willingly went to the cross and drank down the punishment of God's wrath for the sins and selfish acts that you and I committed. And we sit here today in a church service with our sins forgiven, our sins paid for, we're saved, we're redeemed, we've been given eternal hope and peace with God purely because love was born upon the earth through our Lord Jesus. And because Jesus was unwilling for his creation to perish without doing something to stop it from happening. Jesus is the creator and the author of selfless love. We are alive today because Jesus selflessly loved us.
Can we honestly think that the very same would not be expected from us now that we're alive? Jesus says in John chapter 12, love as I have loved you. It's that simple. Love as I have loved you. Take the very same love that I gave you and give it to others. Do we desire to walk in love with every fiber of our being? Is love too much to ask from us now that we're eternally forgiven and alive? And John's assuming it's not. It's not too much to ask. If we have the proper perspective that selfless, self-sacrificial love is the only reason we're alive today and the only reason we have any hope beyond the grave. So he says this to us, but whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with talk, but in deed and in truth. Make no mistake about it, if we are neglecting to show love to those in need, those who are hurting around us, then we are beasts like Cain. And we deserve the same outcome that Cain received. Because just like anger and hatred actively hurt Abel, Cain-like behavior in our life will actively hurt those around us. So does withholding love from those who are in need of it. In fact, John says that if we withhold love from those in need as a practice of our lives, there's no way we could be born of God. Because God is love and we were made in his image. It's that simple. God is love and we were made or remade, reborn into his image. Basically, he's saying oranges cannot come from apple trees. Selfishness cannot come from a loving God. It does not work. And not only that, but the very foundation of the gospel is what? Selfless, self-sacrificial love. We cannot show love to those in need. Excuse me, we cannot not show love to those in need. And at the same time, be in a loving, covenantal relationship with God. It's impossible. We're receiving his love, but we're not giving love in return. It does not make any sense. It does not work. And John says we can't even love with just words. Words are not nothing. To say I love you, it doesn't mean it's nothing. I say I love you to my wife and my children. It doesn't mean it's nothing, but words are cheap. It doesn't require much of me to tell someone that I love them. But to show people with acts of kindness and charity and generosity is expensive for me. And it's going to require that I give up something that I desire to keep. And that right there is the very same love that Jesus showed us sacrifice. In fact, if we remember back to last week's lesson, Cain sought to give God a sacrifice, didn't he? And he was rejected by God because it was not a sacrifice at all. Cain just gave God some of his well-stocked fruit supply. Here you go, God. Here's some of my fruit. And Cain's brother Abel gave God his absolute best sheep. Abel's sacrifice to God and Cain did not. Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was rejected. If we want to love and talk only, it's not a sacrifice. And it's nothing that God is going to accept because it's nothing like the love Jesus gave us. Because love always does something. But if we love in action and in deed, then it's typically going to require something of sacrifice from us. Something that we desire to keep. And when we give up something we desire to keep for the sake of someone else, now we're acting like Jesus. Now we are. Because guess what? Jesus desired to not die on the cross. Hebrews says that, and that should be logical. 
Jesus desired to not die on the cross. Who would desire to die on a cross? But Jesus did die on a cross because we needed it. It's that simple. And now he's asking, nay, he's commanding us to do the very same for those in our lives. And so we have a choice. And the choice is a simple one. It's a direct one. It's a blunt one. But it's very clear. Number one, we can withhold love and feel justified that we don't have the time, the energy, the means to love those around us. And God will lump us along with Cain at Judgment Day. Or we can see what is plainly obvious in front of us, that love is the single greatest commandment God ever gave his people. And that love was born on this earth through Jesus Christ so that we might live forever with God. And therefore, we must strive to show the same selfless, self-sacrificing love that God showed us when we needed it. Because our neighbors need it. Our neighbors need selfless, self-sacrificial love. And even greater than that, our actions of love on this earth, in deed and in truth, is what we give to God at Judgment Day as a sacrifice. It's the only sacrifice he wants. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want religious duty that we made up. He wants sacrificial, selfless love because Jesus gave it to us and because he commanded that we give it back in return. Jesus wants love from the people that he gave love to. It's a simple request, isn't it? Give similar love that I gave you. Now, if sacrificial, selfless love seems like a foreign concept to you, then John is telling us today we might not know Jesus like we think we do. Because once we experience that selfless, self-sacrificing love of Jesus, you know what that love does? It compels me to show it to others. And if you aren't compelled to show that love to others, then you might not know Jesus like you think you do. And that can change today. You can know Jesus today. You can have your sins forgiven today. You can experience his selfless, self-sacrificing, forgiving love today. And you can change from Cain into a new creature that loves God and loves people. The birth of love has changed our life, guys. It's changed my life forever. And now the choice is ours to do the same for our Lord and the same for others or to withhold love like Cain did and find the same fate that Cain received. Are we going to line up right behind our Lord Jesus today and let selfless, self-sacrificing love change the lives of the neighbors around us for Christ's sake? That is the duty of the church. That is the duty of every Christian. And it's the foundation for our eternal hope. And I hope, and I truly hope, it's a privilege for us to show the same love that God gave us through Jesus. We love because he first loved us. Would you bow in prayer? Father, this is a heavy lesson, but a fitting lesson for all of us. Because we live in a selfish world, a hatred world, a world that is seeking only the benefit of themselves, the glory of themselves, the happiness and security of themselves. Father, we've strayed so far from our Creator, and it's time we get back. It's time we get back in understanding that selfless, self-sacrificing love is the way it was always supposed to be. And we can be reminded of that by simply looking at Jesus today. And I pray that we would simply look to Jesus and say, how did he love? Then I must show the same love to my neighbor. Father, compel us, constrain us by the love of Christ 
And if there's someone in this room that doesn't know the love of Christ, then today would be the day of their salvation, that they would recognize that they're going the wrong way, and today they can turn around thanks to the blood of Christ. Father, help us all as a church to step forward and say, I'm going to love like my Lord loved me from this day forward because this world desperately needs it, and this is our sacrifice back to you someday. We thank you for the privilege of talking about love. Bless us as we leave. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.